This is Who Cares About Men's Health, giving you inspiration, information, and a different interpretation to better understand and engage in your health so you can have the life you want today and into the future. My name's Scott. I'm the manager of thescoperadio.com, and I care about men's health. And I'm Dr. Troy Madsen. I'm an emergency physician at the University of Utah, and I care about men's health. I'm Dr. Rachel Weir. I'm a psychiatrist at the University of Utah, and I care about men's health as well. So we're going to talk today about adult ADD or ADHD. One of the things I do want to clarify right away is, I mean, are those the same? Are they different? I've always used them interchangeably. A lot of people say ADD, attention deficit disorder versus ADHD, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, um, because they don't feel like they have hyperactivity, especially for adults. Um, Kids, you see the hyperactivity symptoms, you know, much more frequently than you do in adults. But if you wanted to be strict in terms of the definition, it all is ADHD. So you would say ADHD predominantly inattentive type or ADHD predominantly hyperactive type or a combination of the two. See, Scott, I didn't actually know that. So I'm glad we clarified that. <laughs> I bet you're right. I had heard years ago ADD and then now I always just use the term ADHD but uh-huh. I did not understand the reasoning for that. But it sounds like, Doctor, where you're saying if we're, if you know, we're basically we don't use the term ADD anymore. It's ADHD, and that's, and then there are different subtypes within that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna make um, an admission here that's not gonna make me look like a great person nowadays. And I think a lot mm. of people other do the do this as well. You know, joke at one time or another when they're having trouble focusing on something, or they get easily distracted. Oh man, I really got some ADD today. But just because I I can't focus at any particular given time doesn't mean that I have ADHD, right? No, absolutely not. And most of the time, it's it's not going to be ADHD um, in adults, especially adults who, you know, if you're presenting with new symptoms, um, you know, in your 30s, 40s, 50s, that's not going to be ADHD. ADHD is... Um, a diagnosis originally of childhood. It can span the whole um, lifespan. It doesn't for everybody, but you do have to have symptoms present before the age of 12. So it sounds like, so Scott, we're talking about adult ADHD today, but Dr. Weir, it sounds like you're saying that it's not something that an adult would develop. Like this has been a pattern and maybe it just wasn't diagnosed until they were an adult. So it is possible that, you know, sometimes I see people for an assessment that, um, you know, tell me, oh, gosh, I always struggled in school. Um, My teachers, you know, their comments always said I was hyperactive or always out of my chair or blurting answers out. And, you know, my parents didn't really believe in, in mental health and never really got me treatment. So, you know, that if you hear a story like that, even though someone didn't have a diagnosis at a young age, they still can have the diagnosis, of course. It's just that it wasn't picked up on um, when they were younger. But no, if you're like in your 40s and 50s and you're having symptoms of um, inattention, um, distractibility for the first time, it's very likely it's something else. How many adults do you um, encounter that have the symptoms but just weren't diagnosed when they were younger? Is that is that something you encounter often? That that does happen frequently. Yeah, yeah. sure. It also happens probably just as frequently that you know it's this it's something else that's that's causing the problems now. Oh, okay. 
you're, you're, on your definition, you kind of focused in on that example that you told of the child, like it, the hyperactivity part was kind of the, the theme I got there. Mm -hmm. Is that generally the case? So I, I, am I incorrect in thinking it's just kind of lack of attention, even in a, in a child? Uh, it's more about the hyper? It can be both in, in kids. It is much easier to identify in kids who are hyperactive in the school setting. For the kids that don't have hyperactivity, if they're just, you know, distracted, they're kind of daydreaming, gazing out the window, they're not picked up on nearly as frequently as someone who's causing a lot of commotion in a, in a classroom setting. As we're talking about this, like I said, sometimes I joke that if I didn't have ADHD when I started my job, I do now. But it sounds like you're saying I don't have ADHD <laughs> <laughs> because I was a focused student. I was not hyperactive, you know, as a kid and in, in elementary school, junior high, high school, not an issue. But I'll tell you, I struggle with just paying attention. Like if if I'm in a lecture 15 minutes in, I zone out. Like you've got to do something to keep my attention. Is that abnormal or is this is this something <laughs> if someone has this experience, is this something abnormal where they should seek attention or is that just kind of typical for most people? The, the key to really making a diagnosis other than, you know, some of the things that we'll go into. And like I said, the symptoms prevent presenting in childhood would be, is this impacting your life? Is this interfering with your functioning day to day in multiple settings too, not just in a work environment, but at home? Is it somehow affecting, you know, your relationships? Have you had repeated school failure, maybe legal problems, car accidents, you know, job losses, th those types of things that are really, you know, obviously can, um, contribute to a lot of impairment and functioning for people versus just mm, sometimes I'm not quite as on task and as sharp as I could be. And that's a great point because I think we all look at ourselves and like you said, sometimes you feel down, sometimes you're depressed, you're sad, or but it doesn't meet that clinical definition or like distractibility or tough time focusing, but it's not really a clinical thing unless, and, and we all experience that, but it's not necessarily an issue where you need to be on medication or have treatment unless it really does affect, you know, function in personal relationships, jobs, et cetera. So that's, yeah, yep. that's, I think that's helpful for all of us to know that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the, the screeners, if you just like Googled, everyone does Dr. Google now, right? Like, yeah. do I have, <laughs> do I have such a bad, bad doctor? <laughs> Everything's going to kill you according That's to Dr. Why Google. People come to the ER, Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah. But if you, you know, Googled like, do I have adult ADHD? It's probably going to guide you towards a, a rating scale that's based on symptoms. So, um, it, you know, it's, it's not going to be very, um, uh, you know, sensitive in terms of actually giving you a diagnosis and, uh, you know, saying, do you have some functional impairment? It's just looking at symptoms. So I've seen a lot of people bring those kind of screeners to me saying, you know, I'm pretty sure I have ADHD. I understand you developed a protocol to help diagnose uh, people that may have adult 
ADHD. Can you talk about that a little bit? What are some of the things that you do look yeah, for? Yeah, that, um, that's part of my work. I uh, supervise psychiatry residents who rotate through our university community clinic system in primary care clinics. And the first year we did it, I was expecting you know to see a lot of depression, anxiety, possibly bipolar disorder. We were really surprised at the number of requests we got for adult ADHD assessments. So we really had to come up with, um, um, you know, a protocol that was um, thorough but but reasonable to kind of help our primary care colleagues in, you know, how to really make this diagnosis. So, you know, one thing I would say is, you know, if if you're going, you're you're as a patient, you're wondering about this, and you're going to a provider. Um, and you're just saying, oh, I can't really focus, and I filled out this scale, and there's not really much of a discussion of, you know, is this lifelong? Is there collateral information maybe from a school or a parent? Um, is, you know, are screening for other mental health conditions or other medical conditions? Um, and that, you know, you're leaving that appointment with a diagnosis and a prescription, that probably wasn't an adequate assessment. So we developed, it's it's still shorter than doing like a full neuropsych testing and neuro, neuropsych battery, but it is a two-part evaluation so that at that first appointment, what we can focus on is looking, screening for possible comorbidity, other mental health problems, substance abuse problems, underlying medical problems that could be contributors, um, giving the patient some scales to to take home and fill out and maybe have a spouse or a parent f- fill out. Um, and then kind of coming back and kind of looking at all that information together in the second appointment um, and going through you know, if an ADHD diagnosis looks like it's likely. So what's the downside then of, let's say someone takes a scale in, they see their doctor, their doctor says, yeah, it looks like on this scale you have ADHD. What's the downside of of going on treatment? Is that a detrimental thing for these patients? Does it help them function better? What's Well, a, I mean, I think, yeah. yeah, there's two questions, like if it was a misdiagnosis and if it's a proper diagnosis, right? Yeah, but it sounds like what you've seen is maybe a lot of potentially overdiagnosis where people are maybe just going in and saying, hey, I did this scale and, you know, and obviously a lot of primary care physicians are very busy. And and sometimes the easiest thing is to say, here's a prescription. Um, I guess, number one, are you seeing that quite often? And number two, what's the, what's the downside of that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll try to remember all the parts to that question. (laughs) I'll ask you first, (laughs) does that happen often? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it certainly does. And that's kind of why we wanted to come up with Um, a a good way to really screen people and make sure we were treating comorbidities. There was one very good study done that was published in the last few years. And this had actually been a longitudinal study of kids with ADHD. And then they had kids without ADHD in the control group. And they followed them over time. And in fact, the um, length of time that they... um, followed them was into, um, the average was about 14 years. So this was long, long-term follow-up. Now, of the children that they followed who did were in the control group, we knew at age 10 that they did not have ADHD because they had very good assessments at that time. Um, 
when they did screeners as they became adolescents and adults, almost half of them had, you know, what would be considered a positive screen for like possible ADHD. Hmm. Now, when they went back with that group and they did a really thorough assessment looking at all those things, impairment in functioning, multiple settings, not just self-report, but parent report as well, um, psychiatric comorbidities, substance abuse, um, 95% of that group did not have a diagnosis of ADHD. Oh, wow. Yeah. So very, very high. So, you know, it's it's not going to be that high in the real world because like I said, they knew these kids didn't have ADHD. And, you know, obviously we're treating people who had, you know, most of them haven't had any kind of assessment, let alone a thorough assessment at age um, 10. But usually... Um, the symptoms they were experiencing was um, due to another condition. Um, so trauma was one, uh, depression, that can affect concentration. Cognitive effects of marijuana use um, was one, and alcohol use as well. So um, that is, you know, one thing that you want to make sure you're getting your diagnosis right. Now, if you're not getting your diagnosis right, and let's say you, you do get an ADHD diagnosis and you start a medication. Let's say it's a stimulant because that's what most people get prescribed. So um, like methylphenidate or the common name would be Ritalin or, you know, amphetamine salts or Adderall would be the common name there. Um, that can be very helpful for symptoms of concentration, but that's not diagnostic. Um, you know, if, if all three of us took Adderall right now, it would help us focus better. That doesn't mean that we have ADHD, right? So what, what would be the downside of doing something like that? Well, first of all, just in, in improving your concentration alone doesn't inherently fix, you know, a lot of the, the problems that people with ADHD have around like, um, planning and um, uh, being less impulsive, like improving executive functioning, you still need some skill-based treatment for that. And then if you're prescribed a stimulant, you might feel like, wow, this isn't really affecting me, but you know, it could make anxiety worse. It could make you not sleep as well. And then sometimes what we see is people get into these prescription cascades where you know, they didn't really need that original prescription and then they're prescribed something for sleep and then they're feeling groggy the next morning from that and then they want their stimulant dose increase. So you can see, hmm. you know, you can kind of get down these paths where you're you're kind of treating more like side effects than you are um, really treating a condition. Um, and then, of course, there can be some concerns about stimulant use, especially in men, especially as you get older. Um, blood pressure increases, pulse increases. Now it's not that significant, but if you're talking about taking these medications for 10, you know, 20 years, then, you know, that can be a significant strain, um, on your heart. So, um, those are just some things to think about. That's interesting, but it sounds like that study, my takeaway from that study is if I go online and I do one of these self-assessments for ADHD, it's pretty much a coin flip as to whether I will be diagnosed based on that with ADHD versus not. And I probably don't have it even if I'm diagnosed by that. 
Yes. Yeah. There was actually a good New York Times article um, several years ago where they had 1,100 adults take an online ADHD quiz and almost 50% scored in that range that told them ADHD was possible or likely. And of those, sounds like the large majority, once they undergo a more rigorous assessment, don't have ADHD. That would be correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, you know, this is interesting. It's always interesting when we go into these conversations on who cares about men's health. Because when I came in, I here, here was the way I thought it was going to go in my brain. We were going to talk about all these people that um, are adults and were misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for ADHD. Not misdiagnosed, let me rephrase, that were undiagnosed. They're struggling in their life. They finally get the proper diagnosis. They get the proper treatment, uh, medication, uh, you know, the... Uh, the uh, I can't remember what you referred to those as like impulse control, that sort of thing, those exercises. Oh, yeah. Mindfulness and skill-based therapy. Mm-hmm. But, but what I'm hearing instead is it's a lot more likely that you're going to go in with some symptoms of something completely different, perhaps get a misdiagnosis, end up on some medication you don't really want to or need to be on. Uh, and you're not really even solving the problem that you had in the first place. Which, which one's the bigger risk for an adult here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a reason that we've seen, um, you know, the number of stimulant prescriptions uh, increase threefold in just a five-year time period. Um, and at this point, adults make up the majority of those prescriptions. It's no longer that a majority of prescription stimulants are prescribed to children. Now it's to adults. So yeah, a lot of people wonder, well, if this helps my concentration and my, my focus, and I feel like I'm functioning better, you know, what's the, what's the harm? I think these medicines, I mean, we have to remember they are controlled substances, um, they are addictive, but they don't have the same, there hasn't been the same concern about them like you've seen, like with the opioid epidemic, with people overdosing and dying. These medicines are very, very commonly misused, but most people are not getting addicted to them. So high, high misuse, high rate of um, diversion or sharing medication, especially when you get to like college students, um, but but low in terms of, you know, actual addiction. And you mentioned that increase in the last five years. Just in the last year with the pandemic, are you seeing, you know, kind of anecdotally significant increases in the number of stimulant prescriptions and diagnoses of ADHD? I am not aware of that. I don't know. Um, We certainly, you know, the the effects of the pandemic, I think, are going to be very long lasting. Um, Typically, mental health um, sequelae of something like this, um, it's, it's, you know, develops a little bit more, uh, you know, after the fact. But people are very concerned about that, especially with Uh, depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. But I do think there are some things going on related to the pandemic that might make people, more people think that they have ADHD. So, you know, one is a lot of us um, started working from home. Um, That can be much more distracting than being in your office. 
um, and you know, just, just kind of dealing with, with those distractions, especially if you have kids at home, you have other things you look up and see and, you know, think I have to go, I have to go new, go, you know, do that right now instead of focusing on work. Um, so, and, um, alcohol use has increased as well. So anytime you have increase in alcohol use, you know, people might think, oh gosh, this isn't really affecting me. I'm just having a couple extra glasses of wine a night or whatever. But, you know, it is likely impairing sleep, which if you're not getting great sleep, you're not going to be, you know, very focused and energetic. Um, and then, you know, that can kind of carry over into a sluggish feeling, you know, the next day. And then just, you know, depression and, and loneliness as well. Um, so one of the core symptoms of major depressive disorder is um, impairment and concentration. Um, that is also one of the core symptoms of anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder is impairment and concentration. So, um, it, it makes sense that we might see more people presenting from the, or presenting, you know, with this concern than we already do, but yeah. That's what I think I've those wondered. are some reasons. Because yeah. I think, because we talked to Dr. Ben Chan as well, who I, I'm sure you know, who's yeah. uh, works primarily at primary, primary children's. But, uh, you know, he talked about that same thing, how we're all experiencing that distractions and difficulty concentration, concentrating. And I've wondered how many of us have thought to ourselves, wow, I must have ADHD. I just can't focus. Like it's so difficult to get tasks done and then potentially doing online assessments and potentially being diagnosed and prescribed medications. So yeah, I, I, it's interesting, but uh, sounds like maybe that is something we we might see as more data comes out in the next couple of years in terms of prescriptions and diagnoses during this time. It also seems as though that um, distraction could be a symptom of a lot of different things. I'm yeah, getting, absolutely. Kind of, yeah. I'm kind of understanding that. Yeah. So just because you're distracted and can't focus and you think, well, I've got ADHD, um, eh, probably not, probably something else. So uh, go, go see somebody who can help you uh, sort through some of those things if they are actually, you know, impacting your life in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Weir, what would you um, help me help me sum up what we've learned today? Um, we, we set out on this journey talking about adult ADHD. Is that something that, you know, somebody could have? Would they want to seek treatment for that? We kind of ended up someplace else. What would your ultimate summary be of what we what we should take away from this? Well, I'd say that ADHD in children and adults is a very real condition and it it can cause some very significant problems for people. So it is important to get it assessed and treated if if you think that you suffer from it or if you know you do, if you've had, um, you know, the diagnosis or testing in the past, um, but maybe, you know, you kind of stopped getting treated and now you're noting, noticing some problems again, especially when we get to that kind of functional impairment. Um, I think it would be worth noting um, that medication is very helpful for this condition. It's it's very helpful. Um, it, uh, however, it it can't really help um, 
with some of the the skills that that people need in terms of being able to plan, um, you know, multitask, think about future planning, things like that. So it is important to do some skill based work um, as well, and maybe mindfulness too. Um, you know, being able to to learn how to stay in the moment, stay on one task, that can be um, very helpful as well. Um, and then I think just, you know, reiterating that this is a diagnosis that originates in childhood. So if you're noticing something now, if, if no one ever noticed any problems when you were younger, a parent, a teacher, you know, yourself, and, you know, you don't really have that functional impairment, you're noticing things like, oh, I, I'm not, my work performance isn't top notch, I'm not at the top of my game, I forget what I'm doing, you know, you probably don't really meet the criteria, even though you might have some symptoms. Um, and then I just always think it's important to think about what are some other underlying conditions that could could be contributors, like we talked about depression, anxiety, um, Sleep problems, for sure. We didn't get to that too much, but, you know, especially in men thinking about sleep apnea um, and what that can do to kind of your thinking and concentration throughout the day. Uh, that's all very important. Troy, do you have any final questions you'd like to throw out there? I mean, my takeaway from this is if you have concentration difficulty that's affecting your function, relationships, work, et cetera, you should really talk to someone, but it Again, it sounds like you're saying it It probably is something else. Maybe adult ADHD, but probably not. It's probably something else. And if it's a new problem, it is definitely something else. Hey, thanks for checking out the Who Cares About Men's Health podcast. If you think there's somebody in your life that would find this podcast helpful, this episode in particular or any of our episodes, please do us a huge favor and let them know about it so they can check it out. Uh, also, you can go to our Facebook page, and if you have any reflections on today's episode, that goes a long way to helping other people find this podcast that might find it interesting as well. Our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash who cares men's health. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring about men's health.